All right, if you found 1 Timothy, why don't you stand and we'll read together God's Word. <clears throat> 1 Timothy chapter 1, I want to call your attention to verse 15. I'll read just three verses, verse 15, 16, and 17. There we'll find Advent. And these three verses from the Apostle Paul. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's begin verse 15. <clears throat> the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. And then it just goes into a doxology. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Join me as we pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, by the power of your spirit, we come to you, our triune God. And I ask, Lord, that you minister to the hearts of the people in this room, brothers and sisters in Christ that need you to work in their hearts to bring healing and hope and restoration. God, we pray that you would restore to us the joy of our salvation. Lord, we ask for those that have named the name of Jesus and yet feel numb. God, I pray that today you would show yourself through your word, by your spirit, awaken their hearts to trust and believe. So we ask you help us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> As Christians, we got to get Christmas right. We need to make sure we have it right. While Santa Claus may be coming to town, let's not lose. It's Jesus that's coming into the world. In the letter in front of you in 1 Timothy chapter 1, what you have here is Paul writing to his young friend Timothy, and he's writing to clear the air and to set the standard above tradition and above celebration and above nostalgia. Above every bit of that stands the Savior, Jesus. The letter of 1 Timothy is, is especially important at Christmas because Christmas gets clouded. On the one hand, if, uh, if things are going well and you have friends and family and a job you love, Christmas gets clouded with a busy schedule and Christmas get-togethers and parties, gifts, and, and some really fun distractions that go on. On the other hand, if, if that doesn't describe you, if you are lonely or hurt or you've been damaged, emotionally damaged in some way, or, or you've lost someone dear, Christmas can become clouded on the other end with, with pain and nostalgia and, and, and memories, maybe even depression. 
That's, a, that's an even harder distraction, but it is a distraction nonetheless. And as Christians, we, we, have, to, we have to press against both. We've got to clear out a space in our souls to see Jesus. In this first chapter that Paul writes to Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, you'll find it all the way, I mean, through the entire passage, but, but about verse 6, Paul tells Timothy about a problem in the church. There are people in the church that, that, are, that are swerving from the faith. They're wandering off into vain discussions, and, and it's, and it's soul-killing. God has, in His goodness, has given us a Bible. This is why we start the Bible, start the worship service with reading. This is why we do expositional preaching. It's because the Bible is our, is our, is our tuning fork. It, it, it's perfect pitch. Gets our hearts centered, or our souls centered on Jesus at Advent. So all of you that are tired or hurt or lonely or numb, all of you that, that are so busy or distracted, it's Sunday. This is the day when God has set us aside to come together to be together, He's given us Sunday to align the hearts of His children and to align us on the centerpiece, which is Jesus. I think this passage helps. I, I love this passage. <clears throat> I love it for several reasons. I love that it's short. I love that it's packed with meaning. I love that it ends with an amen, just like any good sermon should. And I just have a few goals today. My goal this morning is just to take these three verses, verse 15, 16, and 17, and, and use them to just minister to your soul through this passage so that you can be like Paul, so that at the end of what he says, you can say the amen as well. You can amen God's good, good grace given to us in Christ because Advent reminds us that the coming of Jesus, that's Advent, means the coming. The coming of Jesus is our amen. It is our so be it. It is our grace. Let's take the passage and pull it apart like we always do. Let's start there in verse 15. Here's my first point, number one. The coming of Jesus, it must be trusted and received. The coming of Jesus, it is to be trusted and received. Let's go to verse 15. We'll read the whole verse because right in there, uh, Paul gives us a great gospel statement in verse 15. But prior to that, he tells us about this gospel statement. So read verse 15, but hold on to the first couple of words in the verse. <clears throat> Let's read it together. Let me read it to you. Verse 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. And here's the saying. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. It's the gospel message. This whole passage is about the gospel. And there in verse 15, he says about the gospel message that it is trustworthy. I would write that word down. It is trustworthy. What does it mean to be trustworthy? It means that it is the, the granite under your feet. 
that keeps you from falling, this gospel message that Christ came into the world to save sinners. It means that it's sturdy. The word trustworthy means that you can, you can pile all your junk on the gospel. The, the coming of Jesus at Christmas is the gospel message that says, you come over here. Come over here and pile it all. What are, you, what are you dragging around? Sin and worry and anxiety and anger, twisted desires? Come up with something. Your past? You got a past? Bring it over here. All your sin and put it in there. It's a trustworthy. Paul says that saying that Christ came into the world to save sinners, it's trustworthy. Let's see if I can illustrate it. <clears throat> you remember before COVID, uh, when you get on an elevator and people would stand a lot closer than they do now. You get on an elevator now, you don't want anybody breathing on you, sneezing on you, coughing on you. But it feels like everybody's got the plague. So we try not to put too many people on an elevator. But a lot of times we go to these conventions, especially if I go to the Southern Baptist Convention and stay in a hotel when the convention is over and all the preachers and their wives are trying to leave at the same time. And everybody's getting into this small little elevator. You ever been in a packed elevator and think to yourself, I don't think this... Elevator can handle it. And sometimes you get enough people in there, you can, heat, you can feel it kind of shift, which makes you, I, I don't have any confidence that this elevator is going to get us there. You go around back of that hotel, you'll find something called a freight elevator. That freight elevator, you can add and put on and pile in anything you can possibly come up with, and that elevator will handle it. Paul is saying, the say that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, it can handle. It's trustworthy. Why are you carrying, why are you carrying shame around? Go, go and put that on Christ. Why, why do you have guilt? Why are you carrying bitterness? Why are you, why are you uh, or if you're claiming to be a Christian, there's nothing going on. Why are you harboring coldness? Or hatred. The life of Jesus, the perfect life of Jesus, his death on the cross in the place of sinners, Paul says that can be trusted. And I'm just asking you this morning to load every bit of that. Some of you have been carrying around stuff you shouldn't carry. Let's put that on Jesus. The coming of Jesus is to be trusted. That's the first half of my first point. But let's go to the second half. The coming of Jesus is to be trusted and received. You see that word? Let me go back and show it to you. <clears throat> the saying is trustworthy and it deserves full acceptance. Dessert. What do we mean when we talk about deserving? What did Paul mean when he says the gospel message, it deserves you fully accepting it? Let's see if I can um, maybe illustrate this as well. <clears throat> Have you ever seen a, just a solid, sold-out Christian young lady that has so many things going for her, and you think, she, I mean, she's really just a great example, and she starts dating uh, this, this no-good, lazy scoundrel that doesn't even love his mother? <laughs> and you think to yourself, man, she deserves better than that. Now, what, what do we mean when we say she deserves better than that? What we mean is 
that that guy doesn't match what that woman is worth and deserve. Now bring that thought with me. And Paul is saying, he's telling us that the gospel deserves, it, it's worth your full acceptance. It deserves a full-throated amen. It deserves a full-throated yes. It deserves a full-throated I believe that and I thank God for His grace. Let me tell you what the gospel does not deserve. <clears throat> the gospel does not deserve apathy or complaints or half-hearted worship or the gospel does not deserve skipping church to do something else that gets in the way. The gospel does not deserve fence riding and backbiting. Does not de Let me tell you what the gospel does deserve. What, what is, when he says it means this, this full acceptance, the gospel does deserve your full embrace of God's grace given to us in Christ. It does deserve this yielding to the lordship of Christ. It does deserve a long-lost friend running toward a brother or sister in Christ. I, I um, <clears throat> you know, I got a beagle dog that I didn't choose and didn't ask for. I just got it. <laughs> and every time we come home and drive up in the driveway, whether it's me or Connie or us together today, when we go home after church, that dog will howl and howl and howl. Wagging its tail. If you come to my house and it sees you every single time, been doing this nine years now. How long do those dogs last? Nine years. <laughs> been doing this. <clears throat> and he is so, that dog is so happy to see you, or he thinks you might have some food. He is fully accepting you. The gospel story is so great and so glorious and so stunning. If you can yawn through it, and you don't really understand it. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. It seems too good to be true. Sinners ought to stand with their hand over your mouth thinking, how can that be? And this saying, Paul, what he's saying, verse 15, this saying that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, it is trustworthy and it is to be received. Do you? Do you? I mean, do you? Do you think about your Christianity like that? Do you love Christ? Do you love the worship? Do you, do you love the Bible? Do you hate sin? Do you repent of sin? Do you love the cross? Christ Jesus coming into the world. Trust it and receive. There's something else you ought to see in, in verse 15. Let's go uh, look at it and maybe expand it here. Here's the second thing I want you to see. That the coming of Jesus is to be explored and believed. Explored and believed. It, it ought to be thought about. It ought, it's not just, just blind faith. It's thoughtful faith that, that a Christian has. Let's, um, let's take a bit of verse 15 and just sort of pull it apart. Right there, the statement is, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. It is a nine-word statement in, Greece. It is a, in, in a Greek. It is a summation of the gospel. In fact, John MacArthur said that every word was chosen carefully to tell us who Jesus is and what He does. Let's explore it. Christ Jesus came into the world. Christ. 
Christ. He is the anointed, he is the anointed king that came to redeem. Christ Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, the one that would come to save. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises and the keeper of all of God's laws. All the laws and promises of God find their yes and amen in Christ. Christ Jesus. <clears throat> as much as he is fully God, he is also fully man. It's important for us to grasp that if we are going to understand salvation. In order for salvation to work for men and women, he had to be man. Fully human. The first Adam, we know him from Genesis, tells us that Adam fell into sin. That sin affected all people since Adam and Eve and also all of Creation. That's why we have tornadoes like we do. The first Adam lost us everything. The second Adam, Jesus, he didn't fall for temptation like Adam and Eve did. Jesus, we, we find out in Hebrews, that he was tempted in every way like we are, and yet he didn't sin. For every temptation, you fell to Jesus resisted. He did what we couldn't do, and thereby, as a human, he earned righteousness. It's important that this human, our substitute, didn't just die in our place, he also lived in our place. And, and the gospel is, let's just side road here, the gospel is the great exchange. So when we're saved, what happens is we trust that Jesus Christ takes our sins, but that's not all he does. He takes a righteousness he earned as a human and puts it on us as humans so that we are seen righteous. The great exchange at the cross. Christ Jesus, what did he do? Look at the verse. Here's Advent. This is why I chose this verse. He came into the world. Here is the incarnation. Here is Christmas. This actually sounds a lot like John chapter 1. I was going to preach John chapter 1 uh, this Sunday, but I, I then realized that I preached it a year ago. And so there's always someone. This actually was the deterrent. I know somebody's going to come up and say, hey, you preached that last year. So I was like, well, I'll just avoid that and I'll go here to 1 Timothy. But a lot of people think that uh, this passage was influenced by John chapter 1 because it sounds so much like John chapter 1. That in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. This, this passage tells us that it didn't just come into the world. He is the pre-existent one. So for him to come into the world, he actually had to be somewhere else before he came into the world. Here's the, the second person of the Trinity that came to us. This is Jesus saying, before Abraham was, I am. This is the ever-living God coming into the world. Coming into the world. Coming. Christ came into the world. When you read the New Testament, you find out, what does the world mean? The world is not just some neutral word. The word world always carries with it some negative, probably sinful connotations. That Christ came into the world. The blind and the lost and the condemned world, the hellish world, the world we live in, a world of sinners and darkness and unbelief. That's what Christ came into. Christ Jesus came into the world, but for what? 
Did he come to be an example? Did he come to teach? Did he come to be a good man? Did he come to be a prophet? Did he come to lead? It's right there in verse 15. This is the gospel. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. See the word save, you ought to rescue, you ought to, you ought to circle that word save it means to rescue. It's strange language for, come, uh, for some. It's, sometimes it's, uh, it feels like inside language, using church language, that you may even hear someone, it's, it's odd to be asked, are you saved? And it may seem odd, but it's really good language because it comes from the Bible. But maybe you're wondering, okay, what does it mean to be saved? What am I saved from? Saved from what? Here, just, here's what, here are a couple of words the Bible gives us. Saved from sin, saved from guilt, saved from slavery to sin, saved from the wrath of God, saved from eternal punishment, saved from alienation, saved from everlasting death, saved from hell. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. When Christ comes to save us from, He also saves us to something. What did God save us to? He saves us to the righteousness of Christ, to the peace of God that surpasses understanding, to wholeness in your soul, to forgiveness, to shame taken away, to freedom. He saves us to reconciliation with God. He saves us into His love. He saves us to everlasting life. You see, the gospel, this is what Christmas is about. The gospel is for all sinners, and we are all sinners. And the gospel is that Christ Jesus has come into the world to save sinners. And then Paul, you see what he does in verse 15? Paul says, and, and I'm the foremost, I'm the prototype, I am the chief, I am the first sinner. I mean, look, to know the gospel of Jesus, to, to know his perfect life, his death on the cross, his resurrection, to, to believe that and trust, to be forgiven to explore it, to be like Paul and realize I, I need that. I mean, that's what we, that's what our souls will flourish in. That's what your soul will flourish in is the gospel. Let the coming of Jesus be your, your amen. The coming of Jesus, it must be trusted and received. The coming of Jesus must be explored and believed. The coming of Jesus in verse 16, just come down the page. I'll give you a third thing to consider. The coming of Jesus must be displayed and explained. Let me show you what I mean. Now let's read verse 16. And as I read it, you pay attention to what Paul calls himself. He said it back in verse 15. We didn't spend much time on it. He says it again in verse 16. It means we've got to stop and think about it. Let me read verse 16. <clears throat> Paul says, But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost... Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in Him for eternal life. Do you hear that robust self-awareness? This is Paul, it says in verse 15, it says in verse 16, and he says, look, I am, I am a terrible sinner. I mean, you go up the page if you want to, verse 13 there Paul says, I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor, I was an opponent of God. And then that those two, just two times, verse 15 and 16, 
Paul says, I'm the king of sinners. I'm the chief. I'm the prototype. I am the model sinner. If you go onto the car lot and you go in the showroom, there is the best model they've got in the showroom. It has all the bells and whistles, every available option. It is marked up $20,000. And Paul says, that's what I am. I'm the model sinner. When Paul talks about himself, he gives three biographical sketches. Ephesians 3, Paul says, I am the least of the saints. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, I am the least of the apostles. 1 Timothy 1, Paul says, I am the chief of sinners. One of the hallmarks of being a Christian is the genuine, humbling realization that you are an absolute sinful wretch. But you don't stay there. You see, Paul in verse 16, but, but mercy, God's undeserving forgiveness, mercy and his patience in verse 16. At the cross, there you have forgiveness and restoration and joy. And, and, and God saved and forgave somebody like you what he's done in your life, he did that so that somebody like you, you become an illustration, a wonderful example of how Christianity works. So that people will say, well, if God could save Paul, he could surely save me. Look, you've got a past, you've got something you're ashamed of. If you're bad, you're a sinner. If you're bad, Christmas is for you. And it's not a bag of coal coming your way. It's a life of love and grace and forgiveness found at the cross of Jesus. And in verse 16, Paul just keeps piling these words. Words like, like mercy. Do you love the word mercy and perfect patience? That's how he described what God has done, what God gave him in Jesus. And Paul says, and he did it to me as the very worst so that terrible sinners who say things like, well, God would never, or he'll never forgive this, they would see what God has done in me and believe. And, and as Paul is talking about how God saved him, even the worst of sinners, as he thinks about that, it's like spontaneously in verse 17, he breaks out into this, into this doxology, this, this praise. In fact, let's just take it and make that our fourth point. Number four, the coming of Jesus must be celebrated and experienced. Celebrated. Experienced coming of Jesus in your life, it is, it is you realizing what God has done for you. But it must be experienced. You see him there in verse 17? Let me just read verse 17. We'll go back and just kind of pull it apart. Paul says, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. To the king of the ages. To the sovereign one who is in complete control, ruling over all the universe. To the one who lives forever. The eternal king that rules, the one that overrules all my sin and evil and turns it into good. 
the, the king that is able to kill sin with grace. The king that comes and takes those that were enemies of his and by the blood of Jesus on the cross, he then adopts them as his children. That king is Lord over all. To the immortal God. That word immortal, it has less to do with living forever and more to do with not decaying. To the incorruptible God. To the God who doesn't change. To the God who doesn't go away, he doesn't decay. His arms never grow tired of actually holding you up. This God has this, this inexhaustible reservoir of power. He never gets weary. This God is Lord of all. To the invisible God, don't forget now, just because He's not seen doesn't mean He doesn't care. And just because you can't feel Him doesn't mean He's not there. The invisible God, reminding us that hope, what did Paul say in, in Romans chapter 8? That hope that is seen... Well, that's not hope. Who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, wait for it in patience, believing that God is at work. He is the invisible God, and he is Lord over all. Paul crescendos with the idea he is the only God. He is the one not only above all others, he is the only one in existence. He is the, the solitary God, like the sun to the planet Earth exploding with power and yet warmth and energy. Paul says, I want to, I want to spend my life, and now how he closes it, I want to spend my life praising and reflecting glory back on this God, this God that has saved me. I want to give glory to this good God. And to every bit of that, he closes it out and says, I can say amen. Men, the coming of Jesus is our amen. There is a trustworthy statement that deserves your full acceptance. And that is that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of who? I, I am the foremost. And the question I would just put back to you is, have you trusted that? Have you fully given yourself over to this truth? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners like you. Will you join me as we pray together? With your heads bowed this morning as we go to the Lord in a moment of prayer. I'd like to close our message today with giving you an opportunity to respond. Some of you will need to respond just by standing where you are and singing with, with great joy in your heart to the goodness of God. Some of you, a good response for you would be to come forward, right, right here in the front, our pastors are on the front row, come forward and pray with the pastor. Let a pastor pray with you. Maybe, maybe you just want to come and kneel and pray as we sing. And, and something physical that gives... Uh, indication of what's happening inside of you spiritually. Maybe you want to talk to one of our pastors about what it means to give your life to Christ. What does it mean to receive this gospel, to accept it? What does it mean to trust this saying? 
When we sing this morning, I hope that you'll sing with your heart and soul unto the Lord. And if you need to talk and pray with one of our pastors, now's a good time to do that. Father, thank you for the grace you give us in Jesus. Thank you for the joy of Christmas. Thank you for the coming of Christ. He is our joy and our peace. And Lord, I pray that you would bring joy and peace to your people here. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand please as we sing together?